0: So we're looking at Acts chapter 3, and I'll be reading from verses 1 to 8 today. It says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. A turning point is defined as the time at which a situation starts to change in an important way. It's pretty straightforward, but there's been many turning points throughout history. Uh, one turning point uh, is it was a fire called the fire at the shirtwaist, triangle shirtwaist factory in New York City. In the 19th century, early 19th century, the United States saw the Industrial Revolution, and then that kind of continued for the next century and during that time goods began to be produced efficiently and cheaply and as they were produced that way the the kind of the balance of power resided in factory owners and so factory owners could basically do what they wanted Uh, they often bribed public officials to overlook safety regulations and they they didn't really care about workers especially at the Triangle Shirtwaist factory in New York City at that factory uh, people were huddled together making clothing. Most of them were underaged women and they were just packed everything super tight, really poor ventilation, poor heating system, uh, no air conditioning, poor ventilation, uh, very few bathrooms. It was just a terrible environment to work in. And then in, on March 25th, 1911, a fire broke out. They don't know for sure why it broke out, but it may have been a cigarette, it may have been a spark that that lit up these scraps of of clothing, and it soon spread. A manager went up to try to put out the fire, but the hose that he used was rotted, didn't work. In the process, 146 people died. It was a terrible tragedy. But the the biggest tragedy of all was that it was entirely preventable. There were so many things that went wrong in this situation. Uh, Number one, there were flammable materials that were kept in the workspaces, and everything was all huddled tightly together. And so once one of those flammable materials started on fire, it just spread throughout the whole factory. There were no fire alarms. There wasn't a sprinkler system. There was one fire escape, but it was super narrow, and only a couple people could go down at a time, and after the fire started, it actually collapsed. They only had two set of stairs to go down. One of those stairs was always locked because they were afraid of workers stealing things. And you look at all of these things, there were so many things that went wrong. When firefighters arrived, they didn't have ladders to reach the top of the building where the fire had broken out. They brought out nets to catch people, but those nets were faulty and many people went, fell to their death. And it was truly an incredible injustice, a great tragedy, but it was also a turning point. Because in that moment, people started to realize workers have rights, too. Workers need to be taken care of as well. So after that, for the funeral of those people who died, there were 350,000 New Yorkers who came out in support of those workers that died. The mayor of New York at that time set up an investigation to investigate the conditions in factories at that time. A few years later, there were about 38 new laws that were put put in place to protect workers. Two years after that, the Department of Labor was created, and then several years after that, 1970, OSHA was created. You know, and you think about that, and it was just this one event that was kind of the catalyst, the turning point for changing the perception of uh, of the workplace to realize people make people realize workers need to be protected. And so, you know, we get to the point we are now, and sometimes it, you know, workers, you know, sometimes there's even laws that are kind of uh, seem almost silly to us. But there was that one catalyst. That one turning point. that Where the tide was going one way. And that event changed everything. The Bible tells us. Of turning points. But one particular turning point. The turning point of turning points. The resurrection. Since the beginning of humanity. Since our first fathers. Adam and Eve. First parents Adam and Eve fell into sin. Sin has kind of reigned on the earth we know that the curse was placed on the earth that work would be difficult childbearing would be difficult everything that we do would be done with toil and we see throughout the history of israel that israel often followed after other gods that israel often was led into further sin and that sin brought judgment and death And the trajectory of history up until the point when Jesus stepped on this earth was sin and death were reigning. But then Jesus came to the earth. He died on the cross. And then on Easter Sunday morning, the ground shook. The the stone was rolled away. And Jesus rose up from the grave and changed everything. It was the turning point of turning points. And it was a declaration that no longer will sin reign. No longer will sin be in charge. Theologian N.T. Wright once said this, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from the earth, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. The resurrection is the beginning of new life for all who trust in Jesus. But the resurrection wasn't just the end of the story. It wasn't just about Jesus rising from the grave. He rose from the grave so that we also might rise from the grave one day, so that spiritually we might be brought to life. And we see in this passage that I just read in Acts that uh, Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, is carrying on the ministry of Jesus. Even though Jesus has ascended to the Father, he's no longer on the earth, he's still calling people to resurrection. And today, Jesus is still calling people to resurrection just like peter called to this lame man rise up he calls to us rise up rise up from the grave that you've been living in for some of us today maybe it means rising up to new life for the first time you know maybe we don't have a relationship with god and maybe god would call us today today to rise up from that grave we've created for ourselves and to find new life others of us maybe we're believers in christ and But maybe our actions and beliefs and behaviors are not always in line with the resurrection. Maybe sometimes we're living as if we're dead, even though Christ has made us to be alive. And in this passage, I see see three ways or three pictures of what it looks like to rise up. There's three pictures in this passage of what it looks like to rise up. The first is rising up means believing that things can be different. Rising up means believing things can be different god wants to do things in your life that will blow your mind sometimes that's in a really good way i mean sometimes that's really exciting things that we could never imagine or comprehend sometimes that's some really bad things that we don't understand we don't know why god would allow us to walk through those things but we need to believe that things can be different that faith really makes a difference you think about this passage and this lame man was lame since he was born he never knew what it was like to be different. He never imagined or dreamed that anything could be different. If we're going to rise up today we need to be, and be all that God wants us to be, we need to actually believe that God can change us. That God can change our circumstances, that God can change our hearts. The Roman poet Virgil once said this, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. Whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. If we don't believe that God can transform us, if we don't believe that God can transform our circumstances, we shouldn't be surprised when he doesn't. I mean, we know that we can't do it in our own strength. Only God can change us, and only God can change our circumstances if he chooses. But we need to have the faith to believe that things can be different. And sometimes we get so caught up in the the life that we're living, and maybe things have been... In, in such a way for so long that we fail to believe that God could change our circumstance. Maybe we give up praying for someone who we've been praying for, for years and they never change. Maybe we've been praying for healing for someone and we just give up because we feel like God isn't listening. We need to believe that God is who he says he is. That God can answer prayer. That God can change our circumstances if he so chooses. Matthew 9, 28 to 29 Uh, Jesus is talking to some blind men who uh, come to him, and he says, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I'm able to heal you? And they said, yes, Lord, and then he touched their eyes, and he says, according to your faith, may it be done to you. And I I believe God often asks us that question. Do you really believe that I can change your circumstance? Do you really believe that faith makes a difference? Larry King once told a story about three farmers, and they were in the midst of a great drought. And each morning they would go out to their crops and they would pray. Pray that God would send rain. But each day it didn't rain. Weeks turned into months. And they were starting to get really nervous. Their families were on the line, their livelihoods were on the line. If it didn't rain soon, it was going to be trouble. And one day, uh, uninvited stranger just shows up sees them praying out in the field and comes up and says what are you doing they said we're praying he shakes his head and said, no I don't don't think so the first farmer says of course we're praying it hasn't rained in so long it's been almost a year this stranger nods and says it's never going to work your prayers are never going to be answered The second farmer said, of course we're praying. We get down on our knees. We pray and we pray and pray. It's not just for ourselves. It's for our families. It's for our neighborhood. Of course we're praying, but it wasn't buying it. it doesn't seem like you're praying. Third farmer said, well, what would you do? I mean, how would you respond to this situation? The stranger said, well, do you really want to know? They said, well, of course we do. The future of our families is at stake. We want to know what we should be doing. And the stranger said, if I were praying with faith, I would have brought an umbrella expecting that God would answer the prayer. The prayer of faith is a prayer of hope and expectation that God will act. It's not always that he'll act in the way that we hope, that we want, but we pray and expect that God is going to answer us. We talked on Friday about how uh the cross has allowed us to be children of the father we know that god loves us and cares for us and 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 we can cry out to him with any request that we have but we need to believe that he can actually answer those prayers and we can say that with our mouths but do we really put that into practice do we trust god with our finances do we trust god with our marriage do we trust god with our insecurities do we give him the things in our life that are most precious and difficult to us. Sometimes our problems seem really big and our God seems really small. And we can't forget that we serve the God who raises up the dead. And sometimes we don't see God's power in our life because we don't actually believe he's going to act. And if we don't actually believe it with all of our hearts, we can't be surprised when he doesn't. We can't be surprised when he doesn't change the circumstances. The author of Hebrews says this, and without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So in order to rise up, we need to believe that God can change us, that God can transform us and transform our circumstances, that he is a God who is mighty to save the God who raises up the the dead, that he is who he says he is. So that's the first picture of what it looks like to rise up. Rising up means believing that that things can be different. Rising up, secondly, means leaving things behind. Leaving old ways behind. The text tells us that this man was carried to the temple every single day. Again, he was born lame. This is all the life that he knew. Each day he would come to the temple and he would beg for money. And the greatest expectation the greatest hope that he had for the day was that people would be extra generous that they would give him a lot of money that day and yet peter tells him i have something different for you says i don't have silver i don't have gold but what i do have you what i do have i'll give to you in the name of jesus christ rise up and walk and he gets up and walks And this was was better than anything that he could ever hope or dream of. But it was going to require some adjustments. Because he had a way of living and a way of doing things. He had people who brought him to the temple each day. All that he knew in his life was how to beg. He didn't know how to work. He didn't know how to interact with other people. He didn't know how to do so many things that other people found normal and commonplace. It's kind of like, You know, when people go to prison for an extended period of time and they kind of, sometimes they'll get used to kind of the system. They'll get used to, you know, when meals are prepared and and just how to live and operate in a prison. And then they're given their freedom and then they come out and it's just, they're just kind of disoriented. And, And it's a great thing that they're free. They're not in prison anymore, but they don't know what to do because it's different. People don't like change. We don't like to do things that are different. Mark Twain comically once said, uh, the only person who likes change is a wet baby. There was a study that was done uh, where students preferred course, cor- coursework that was described as the status quo over new content. Regardless of whether the new version meant more or less course- coursework, they preferred work that was the status quo that was considered tra- tested and proved uh, proven. They liked it even more when it had been around for 100 years rather than 10 years. In another study, people who who were told that acupuncture had been in existence for 2,000 years expressed more favorable attitudes towards it than those who were told it existed for 250 years. We prefer the familiar over change. You know, and God calls us to new life, but it requires change. Uh, Daniel Cox was a former jet pilot turned into a business leader and he used to write a publication called seize the day and in that publication he talked about uh, the ejection seats that pilots would have and uh, when pilot when jets came on the on the scene um, they had to kind of adjust the uh, the ejection seats it became a lot more complicated from the old propeller planes and so they were trying to to uh, create these safety mechanisms so that if the plane was going down, the pilot could be ejected out of the airplane and be saved. And what they found was as they were doing testing, uh, all that that had to happen was they had to press the button, and the seat would, would shoot up, and then they just had to let go, and then the parachute would open up, and they would go down to safety. But what happened oftentimes was when they were shot out of the airplane, what they would do is they would hold on to what was familiar. They would hold on to their seat. And they wouldn't let that seat go. And in the process, the parachute would be uh, trapped in between their body and the seat. So they had to come up with a different plan. And what they eventually came up with was a more sophisticated system so that when they were shot out, it basically shot the person out of the seat so that they had no choice. They they, They couldn't hold on to that seat. Sometimes we hold on to what we know even when we know it hurts us. We'd rather have what's familiar rather than what's life-giving. And I imagine that man, this man struggled with this. He was no doubt overjoyed, as we'll see in the passage, or see in a minute. But it meant a lot of changes. And When God calls us to rise up from the grave, to rise up to be all that he wants us to be, it's a great thing, but it's going to require changes. For some, it's a change of habits. Maybe it's giving up something like pornography or uh, drug addiction, excessive alcohol consumption, sex outside of marriage. Maybe it's giving up a habit like those things. But even deeper than that, God wants to transform our very hearts. And, And the truth is we can kind of avoid the outward sinful behaviors and still be far from God. We can still have hearts that are bent towards evil. And I think we all have these tendencies that are built inside of us, these sinful tendencies to go astray. Some of us have this tendency uh, toward uh, selfishness. It's like life just revolves around us, and when we think about our future, the only thing that we think about is ourselves and how everything is going to affect us. Some of us have a bent towards negativity. You know, when we think about other people or we think about ourselves or our circumstance. We're always judging those things negatively. The glass is always half empty. Some of us have a, a bent towards drama. We're prone to gossip. We love talking about the next uh, big scandal. We love delighting in other people's downfall. you know. And we have that tendency in our heart. Some of us have a bent towards fear. We constantly entertain the what-ifs in life. I'll admit this is something I struggle with. It's like, what if this happens? What if I lose my job? What if this, if I get sick? What if this or this or this happens? And we have this bent towards fear rather than faith. Some of us have a bent towards insecurity. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. It's like, how do I measure up to that person? Do I have as much money as that person? Am I as good looking as that next person? We all have these things inside of our hearts. Even if we avoid the kind of overt, uh, you know, sinful actions, we have these tendencies inside of our hearts. and, And God wants us to be free from these things. But the difficulty is sometimes, just like this man was lame from birth, sometimes these patterns are just kind of built into our hearts. In other words, they're kind of the way we've dealt with life for a long period of time. And maybe... They become such a part of our nature that we don't even recognize them anymore. Maybe we don't even recognize our negativity anymore. I mean, it's just the way we always thought. Maybe we don't recognize our fear. Maybe we think of it as being careful or cautious. Maybe we don't recognize our selfishness. Maybe we don't we don't recognize our insecurity. You know, these things become such a part of our life that we don't always recognize them and yet God calls us, Jesus calls us to rise up from these prisons that we've created. Sometimes it takes hard work. Sometimes it's difficult, but Jesus wants us to be free from these things. He doesn't want to be in, us to be in bondage to these actions or thought patterns that are going to lead us to destruction. And so He calls us to leave our old ways behind, whether they're overt patterns of sinfulness, actions or their ways of thinking. And make every thought captive to Christ. So rising up means leaving old patterns behind. Finally, rising up means experiencing joy. We see in this passage as a result of this lame man's uh, encounter, it leaves him with unspeakable joy. The text tells us that he went with the disciples into the temple after this. This is not an incidental detail. Being that he was lame and that he was lame since he was born, According to the Old Testament law, he wasn't allowed to go into the temple. So this is the first time that he gets to go into the temple and experience the presence of God. And he is just overjoyed. His physical resurrection leads to a spiritual resurrection. For those of us who believe in Jesus, we can rejoice in in what God has done in our life. We rejoice in the answers to prayer that we see in our lives. Though we rejoice in the, the ways that he provides for us on this earth. But most of all, we rejoice in the fact that we can have a relationship with him. That we can speak with him any time, night or day. That we can enter into the temple. That we can enter into his presence any time we want to. Jesus said this to his disciples in Luke 10, verse 20. Do not rejoice in this. That the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. As Christians, we should be overjoyed at who God has, what God has done in our life, and who He's making us to be. Several years ago, there was a pastor named Alan Walworth, and he was preaching an Easter sermon in a different location than he normally did, and he wasn't really sure how he was going to communicate the Easter message to the audience that he was communicating to. And he's just really struggling with this, and he decides he's just going to kind of take a breather and go outside with his kids. And his kids are just kind of jumping around and skipping and just playing and having a great time, and they're not even doing anything, you know, that fun. They're just having a good time running around. And they came up to him and said, Daddy, can you do this? Can you skip? And he describes what happened this way. He says, I looked, and my kids were skipping along the road he said yeah I can do that and went back to pondering this theological treatise and they said no daddy can you I mean really can you go skipping we've never seen you He said well of course I can go skipping everybody's been skipping well you know what they said then show us he said I hate to be beaten by the kids but I couldn't go skipping I'm an adult I have a doctorate degree I pastor First Church, and we have members who live in this neighborhood. Neighborhood associations are worried enough when a preacher moves into town. It makes prices volatile in the neighborhood. But if he goes skipping around, well, that does it. I couldn't do that. What did they say? They said, nah, 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 you can't do it. So I looked around, and then I did it. He said, I can't remember why I ever stopped skipping as a child. It's not hard on your knees. It's easier than jogging and you can get a lot of distance. Maybe it's because adults just aren't happy any that happy anymore. Not that carefree. He says, unless they get a hold of Easter. Unless Easter gets a hold of them. <coughs> Easter, the truth of the resurrection, ought to bring us profound, unspeakable joy. It ought to make us skip. Rising up means experiencing the joy of the resurrection. <coughs> In order to rise up to be all that God has called us to be, we need to first believe that things can be different. We need to leave old patterns behind. And as we do that, we experience the joy of the resurrection. Max Lucado tells a story of a missionary who went to Brazil. And this missionary was dealing with a great plague, uh, the very contagious disease but it was a treatable disease the thing was the hospital wasn't that far away um, but there was a river that, ca- that separated the hospital from the tribe they were terrified to enter into the river <coughs> the missionary explained to them that there's no problem with this river he'd been in the river before and they would, they wouldn't, there wouldn't be any trouble but they insisted that if they entered into the river they were going to die so he stuck his hand in, said, look, nothing's happening. You're not going to die if you enter into the river. They didn't buy it. He walked in. He waded in about waist deep, splashed water on his face. said, see, you're not, it's okay. You can go in. You're not going to die. You need to go to, to get the help that you need. But they still wouldn't buy it. And finally, he dove down deep into the water swam all the way across to the other side and triumphantly lifted his fist in the air. From there, they cheered. Then they realized someone had entered into the waters and it made it to the other side. After that, they cheered and followed him across. And that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He entered into the waters of sin and death for us and showed us a way out. He rose up from the grave and today he calls on us to rise up. To those shackled with fear and anxiety, he says, rise up. To those caught by the snares of the enemy, he says, rise up. To those who are weary and heavy laden, he says, rise up. To those who are lost and don't know where to turn, he says, rise up. To those who are broken beyond repair, he says, rise up. To those drowning under the weight of fear and shame, he says, rise up. To those hopeless and helpless, he says, rise up. To those who are dead in their sins, he says, rise up. To those shunned and persecuted by the world, he says, rise up. To those in need of healing and restoration, he says, rise up. To those who need hope and direction, he says, rise up. To each and every one of us, he says, rise up. Church, let's rise up. Because Jesus has risen from the grave. He's shown us a way out. The turning point of turning points, the resurrection, shows us that life can be different. That we can have a relationship with God that begins today and goes on forever. Let's pray. With every head bow, every eye closed, maybe you're here and maybe you've never entered into a relationship with Christ and maybe today would be the day of a turning point in your life. When you would invite Christ into your life, That you would be transformed by that relationship. If that's you and you realize that you need a change. You need something different in your life. And you realize that's Christ. I invite you to say a prayer like this in your heart silently. Say something like this to God. God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've often gone astray. But God, I believe that you came to the earth, that you died for me, that you rose again, showing us a new way. God, please come into my life. Save me. Transform me. And make me into your child. In Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you have shown us a way to the Father. That because of you, sin and death doesn't have to reign, that the grave doesn't have to be the end. That we're free to worship you, free to love you, free to have joy, free to have peace, free to have security because we're your children. Lord, for those of us who are believers today, help us to never move beyond the cross and the resurrection Lord, help us not to live in death. Help us to... Let's rise up together as we we close in worship. We're so glad to uh, be able to worship with you. What a powerful message this morning. Let's stand together. Let's lift him up. Let's thank our God for what he's done for us, for what he's given.